Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome back to the Nerd Nest Podcast. I'm Bill. It's me. It's Russ. It's Carrie. Guys, I hope that you had an awesome week. And uh, speaking of things that had an awesome week, it looks like emulation is having a pretty fantastic week. I just saw this uh, either last night or this morning. I don't remember when. Actually, now off the t- uh, now that I talk about it off the top of my head. Um, but Marvel versus Capcom 2, which is a really good game. I love that game. Oh, yeah. Um, the PS3 version. I never actually played the, P- the, the PS3 version. But it now has the ability for you to, with your, uh, with your emulator... Uh, the RPCS3 emulator, which I'm sure Russ will be able to tell us more about in a second. Um, it That emulator can now go online and you can play against other people in emulation. And that's just really cool. So, Russ, can you tell me, t- tell us about, have you attempted this yet? Um, what do you I think? I I've never tried any online stuff through emulation at all. Now I think about it other than there's like a mod of, uh, gosh, what is that honest online game? People used to play on dreamcast fantasy star or something like that. Uh, There's like a mod. Yeah. There's a mod where you can play that online, but for RPS three or RPCS three, I haven't done that, but this is a great emulator. It's the only game in town really when it comes to PS three emulation, they've been doing it so long. This is one of those emulators where, it's kind of amazing because there's no drama. You don't ever see any drama about this one. There's always drama in the emulation scene. If you ever follow anything to do with like retro arc or that stuff, it's just nuts. You know, people mad at each other and all that stuff. RPCS3 just kind of keeps trucking along. You never really see much about them, but you just try a new game and oh, all of a sudden this one works now and it's kind of amazing. And so I've been watching emulation for this one for a while and it's pretty awesome. And so it's cool. I've never thought about Marvel vs. Capcom being anything but a Dreamcast or a Naomi game. And so it's kind of awesome that we have it for a PS3 freely available like this. That's cool. And you could play it online. Um, yeah. I remember, I think it was back in the days, like, I didn't have like a front end or anything. I had like all of my emulators that I used were all standalone stuff basically. Mm-hmm. And I remember trying to play like might've been in Nesticle or SNESX, whatever. I can't remember what Nine the X, name of it yeah. was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I remember trying to like play an online game with friends back in the day and it never worked. Um, it's just it's it's amazing how far emulation has come and the, the the ability for people to now like have this online account go on and play this essentially dead game um 
online with other people that's fantastic that it that it works like yeah carrie and i we we played an online game this weekend and we ran into all kinds of issues just trying to talk <laughs> to each other like just getting our our systems to talk to each other and here we are with this this old dead game and it's back carrie are you yep. a are you a fan of marvel versus capcom i actually am uh i actually have a a, a quick fun fact um the moment that I fell in love with the PS Vita D-pad, I bought uh, Ultimate Marvel vs. Capcom 3 for PS Vita. And I have the cart still over there in my little box. And uh, when I played it, and when I first started using the PS Vita D-pad, that's when it was just like, like, oh, this D-pad is amazing. <laughs> um, that's when I became like a full-on like zealot for the PS Vita D-pad. Uh, and why I asked GPD in like 2019 to like be inspired by it. Mm. Uh, and they just copied it as best they could, and why it's been a thing that they've had in every one of their that's amazing machines for a while. It's it's all from Ultimate Marvel Capcom versus three on the PS Vita. That is like the, <laughs> the fun fact for today. Yeah, I really like this online idea too. You know, like this is different than net play. You know, so net play is when, for example, you can play an old NES game and it will mimic having two players on the same screen. Like you know, you play Contra. And, you know, we each have your own controller. With net play, you can use two different devices and they both are mirroring the same screen. And one's player one's one's player two. So that's kind of a neat workaround too. And that really does. It's really awesome when you have like two Mew Mini Pluses and they both can do that. You know. But this is totally different. Like these are servers that were not yeah. intended for for play anywhere other than on the PS3 in that slice of time, and then it was gone. And now all of a sudden, people are bringing that back, and that's kind of amazing because you're bringing back some memories that you probably thought were going to be gone forever, which is awesome. So I love it. There, there's two cool things about this, like from the the online play. So netplay, there is actually a thing I want to talk about netplay as a side thing, uh, but specifically with this, with how uh, the RPCN or RPN network for playing rpcs3 stuff is that there is an avenue here now you think about like how GameSpy had their own network so that you could use uh override the land to land part for like old xboxes mm -hmm. to expose them to a greater internet and basically uh fudge land to land over the over the net over wide area networks right uh which is not ideal because the game is anticipating less than one millisecond of latency <laughs> right like <laughs> that's what it expects and you're just saying no no go go to hawaii for this other connection but it does it isn't aware of it whereas for this this is a part where there is net code built into it right it's trying to solve things in a smart manner so there's lots there there is an avenue here where technically these uh third-party servers could do a better job than playstation ever did <laughs> <laughs> so you have a, a yeah. you can have a situation where they're just working on the back end and like oh we could fix this where Sony was just like whatever just let it run <laughs> like you know because those guys are uh, and for for what it's worth I get it right these guys are legacy type of people any type of code change in this thing could be massively uh, could affect things in a massive way where everyone is like oh it's a it's a you know a fire drill. Whereas these mm. guys could just be like, whatever, it's our thing. Let's just kick it off and you can be running versions. People are running their own versions of the background and kind of managing themselves um, where the consumer side wouldn't have that. So there's there's that avenue as well where you can kind of uh, hope that there is a, a better, you know, like this, like RPCS3 is going to be better than the PlayStation 3 could ever be uh, right. type of thing. So it's it's really wild. It's um, awesome too because like internet just gets faster and faster, and so like there there's another opportunity for better connections than there were back in the day too, which is awesome. Yeah, there's yeah. Um, there's go ahead. no, no you can go. 
Oh, okay. <laughs> um, well, I was going to say, this wasn't really in response to either of what you guys were saying, but like looking at the, you know, RPS, whatever, three, um, looking at this and and now it's on, like this online thing, I almost wonder if Sony or Capcom steps in here and says... Yeah, you know what? You guys are stepping on sales of our new Marvel versus Capcom games, so y'all need to shut this down. And <laughs> like that's the kind of thing I I'm not a lawyer. I don't know if what they're doing is legal. Um like did they have to break some kind of DRM in order to to get these uh th- these systems to talk to each other or th- these games to talk to each other? I I really don't know. Um, we've seen in the past where people have gotten like an old Xbox and put that online. Like I think uh, a friend of ours, damn it, Jeff, he has this video where he takes an old Xbox and puts that online right. on private servers, which is really cool. Same I just difference. wonder if this is anything that we ever have to worry about getting taken away because this is the only way that we get this game preservation happening is with emulation to the rescue again and again. So the one good thing about this is that uh, whenever these efforts are done, they're uh, clean room reverse engineering type of things, which is why emulation is allowed in the first place. Uh, the parts that get uh, squirrely with lawyers and stuff is copyright. So if you were to like make a Legend of Zelda game, Nintendo will come in hard and fast. Like As soon as you're like, I made this game, Nintendo lawyers will spring into action. Whereas this is just a reverse engineering effort, and if it was found to be using code that PlayStation had, they would have a stance, a legal stance. But if this is a full-on, they're figuring it out in the background how the communication happens, There's they don't have a legal leg to stand on, uh, so there's nothing to worry about in that. In that. That's good to know. Um, well, speaking of emulation, we got a couple more emulation stories that I figured we could like bunch them all together at the beginning of the show. Um, emulation Station... DE uh, desktop edition is now available for Android. I have not yet installed it yet, although Russ has a really good video uh, about that. I'm going to probably end up putting it on my Retroid Pocket Flip, which is my Android system of choice that I have. Although I got to be honest, most of the time when I'm emulating Miu Mini Plus, like that's my favorite Mm. just because of the form factor. Uh, But this is, this is really nice as well. Um, You've used Emulation Station Desktop on Android. How hard is it to go through the whole thing? And is this something that you think maybe people should just wait for? Well, it's, the biggest thing that I'm learning is that a lot of people are familiar with Emulation Station because of EmuDeck, because they're mm-hmm. kind of combined together when you set up a Steam Deck. So you have Steam Deck, and then one of the apps within EmuDeck, Emu once you have it all set up, is Emulation Station. That's the front end that basically gives you the ability to navigate through your games, pick them, it all looks pretty. So people were saying, uh, people were thinking that when you get Emulation Station for Android, it was going to do all the things Emudeck does, which is downloading and installing all of your emulators and then configuring them for you and all that stuff. So all you have to do is just drag and drop your games. And it's not like that at all. You have to still do all that configuration yourself on the Android side. So you got to find your PSP emulator, download it, then point it to the right game file, all that kind of stuff. All that still has to happen. Emulation Station just wraps it all together at the end so that you have like this nice navigation experience that feels very console-like. So the the hard work 
has to already be done. You've got to get your emulators. You got to set them up. You know, I got all these guides on my website for various devices to set that up. Uh, and that website the, is retrogamecore.com. C O R P S. Okay. Anyway, right, keep going. <laughs> yeah. So, so the idea then is that uh, this is like the last thing you do once you've set up your device. Uh, and if you've already done that with a different front end, say you used one a really popular one, it's called Digisho. Uh, a lot of people will use Launchbox uh, as another option that they can use on Android. If you've done all that already, you've probably already pointed everything to the right place. Emulation Station is very particular that it has to be put in one specific folder where it's like, okay, here is the folder for all your ROMs and please tell us where it is. And then you have subfolders and they have to have a specific name, specific case, and you put your games in that. So if you're first getting it set up and you've never set up a front end, it's pretty easy because it's going to do all that for you in terms of like your navigation of putting where your game files are going to be. But if you've already done it and set it up with Launchbox or Digishow, then you've got to move everything. And so that's mm. what I do in my videos. I like show people, hey, you got to move it. And and it's a, I was so surprised how many people were like, I'm not going to do this thing because I don't want to spend the five minutes moving those folders over. That's too much work. And I'm like, okay. wait, just well, <laughs> moving the folders was too much? Yeah, and it's not. We're not talking about copying, which takes a while. You know, you copy your file. It's moving on an Android device, so it's literally just saying copy all and then put them in over there. You know, and it's so mm -hmm. it takes five minutes altogether. I mean, I do it in real time in the video. You know, um, but all the same, yeah, people don't like that idea of having to remove their folders. And there are a couple, there are a couple quirks with Emulation Station that are limiting for some people. So, for example, you can only point to one ROMs folder. So if you have some ROMs on your internal storage and some on your SD card, it's not going to play well with that. you got to put them all on one or the other. And that's just the way the emulation station has been built from the ground up from back in the day. And so, yeah. uh, so there's little quirks to it. But man, once you got it set up, it's transformed like the way I use Android-based handhelds. Like they've always felt like they're just phones with controllers slapped onto them, basically. You've always swiping and doing all these things to kind of just... It reminds you that you're on an Android device, but I found that with Emulation Station, you can just kind of remove all that. It really does feel like you're using like a Linux-based console, something like the Miu Mini, where it's just a enclosed kind of ecosystem, which is awesome. Yeah, I have. Um, so I followed your guide in order to put Digishow on mm -hmm. my Retroid Pocket Flip, and it's like it looks cool, but it like there's a little less intuitiveness to it especially because i've been using emulation station on my on my uh, raspberry pi which powers my arcade right and um also i've been using it in anything that uses emudeck which right. by the way emudeck is also available on android uh, we'll talk about that in just a second um like i just everything having that same interface makes it so that I know exactly what to do every single time because whenever I fire this up and I open up Digishow, I'm like, I have to remind myself, how do I get from one system to the next? Because it's right. not the D-pad, it's the trigger instead. And that's like my brain hits the wrong button a million times. And so once this is fully baked and on the Google Play Store and once, like I haven't tried it yet, but emulation... Hmm. No, Emudeck on, on Android, if it brings with it um, emu Emulation Station and puts all of that together and ties it together in a nice, neat bow, just like it does on the Steam Deck or on a Windows PC, then 
Yeah, I'm absolutely going to do that because this is a, I really like this device, even though a lot of people don't like the hinge. I'm just careful with it, I guess. Yeah. I think that that's really cool. Yeah, it's um, it's going to be interesting because it's a paid app. So, like, for example, EmuDeck works so well on the Steam Deck because Emulation Station DE is free on that version. But mm. the developer made this one paid because... Honestly, he, he like posted about it, but basically uh, he's, he was not getting any donations. He had all these donation buttons on there. Like nobody was like helping support his work and he'd put thousands of hours into it at this point. And so he's like, I'm just going to make this front one version paid and that will like kind of help me like recoup some of those like time and effort and all that kind of stuff. And so, so it's not going to be seamless for Emudeck where they'd be like, okay, and now here's Emulation Station pre-configured because they're going to have to have some sort of mechanism to say, okay, please pay your five dollars uh for emulation station then we can continue with the rest of the install right now it's set up to work with ID show for emudeck so it would just do all that stuff for you and pre-configured id show because that one is a free app and so right. hopefully they'll have some sort of you know symbiotic relationship at some point it's kind of why i've been hesitant to make an emudeck video for android because it's so early and some of these things are still being worked out and so i've just kind of been waiting until it's to the point where I'm like okay now it's a great experience for everybody let's make a video you know Sorry, Carrie, you were yeah. going to say something. Uh, so I, because I've been looking – I'm very old school when it comes to these things because I've always been a hardcore emulator enthusiast. Uh, and all of them were – every front end has always appeared to me as like uh, an adjacent an adjacent thing to basically just collecting games, getting ROMs, get a hoarder's mentality. Mm. I've had so many people talk to me like, yo, look at my hyperspin setup. And, oh, you know, gosh. it's like all this crazy nonsense going along. It's like big roulette wheel of stuff. And they I spend like three. Yeah, they spend <laughs> three weeks of time not playing any video games. They're just making this super fancy front end like it's like a, a kiosk mode. Right. Like, yeah. look what. And that's what they want to show off more than, you know, anything else. So it's like there's like if I find that to be like an adjacent thing. Emudeck was like the first thing when I first heard of it. I was like, oh, we're going to have another hyperspin thing. But. For what it's worth, Emudeck has gone in a better direction than I was hoping for, and Steam Input also does a lot of nice stuff. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Kingsfield on PlayStation 2, uh, there is a Steam Input thing that you can map so that because when PlayStation 1 and PlayStation 2 came out, the idea of analog sticks to like you know move, move with the left analog stick and look around with the camera with the right analog stick was a foreign idea. Right. So you would look around with the triggers so you're like you know it's it's such a silly way to like look around so in steam input the guy just like remaps l1 r1 r2 l2 to the right analog stick so you're moving around and it feels normal so you you strafe correctly with the left analog stick and that is a night that's like a way better play way to play kingsfield and i prefer that for every kingsfield game but i've been someone that i just like just use the emulator raw just just use the emulator raw don't don't go just play how about you just pick one game you put that there you run the game and you don't need all this stuff is mm. how i've always looked at it um but there i do get it i i get it especially from me deck on steam deck because steam deck is not intuitive for a lot of people on the linux side of things it, it that is like there's certain things that for some people that becomes a real challenge to navigate and I can mm -hmm. get that. Uh, so that is something that I, I've... Okay, I, I, I get that. But on the Windows side, it's always been trivial. Um, but, yeah, that, that's basically where I'm standing from, is that the, the front-end part of it 
probably as as a negative for me because I haven't been covering it because a lot of people do love it. A lot of people love it, and I'm I'm that one guy, the smug guy in the background. Going, <laughs> Just use it raw. <laughs> so that that's me. That's me. Yeah. I do like Emu Deck though. I do like Emu Deck. Oh, I've been spending. I forgot the... to say. Oh, good. One thing. Um. Uh. One of the nice things about Android, if you use an Android phone, is you should download uh, Google Opinion Rewards. Um. It is a, a privacy type of thing. So if you don't care about your privacy, don't download it. But if you are like, well, whatever, they already have all this information. When it detects that you like walked by like Best Buy or whatever, it said, hey, did you go to Best Buy? Did you buy anything? And then you just answer like three quick questions. And then they're like, here's 50 cents. Use it on the Google Play Store. And I've like accumulated like hundreds of dollars in Google Play money just from doing this. So anytime that like uh, Yuzu Early Access was like five bucks or whatever, I was like, have some Google Opinion money. This didn't cost me anything. It's like <laughs> drastic emulator. Have some Google Opinion money. This didn't cost me anything. So I've been buying lots of Android stuff, and I haven't paid a penny. So I have like hundreds of dollars in my Google Play Store for uh, you know just answering quick surveys. That's awesome. Uh, I don't know if anyone hasn't done that. Just a little FYI. What so were you I was going to say, say to. Uh, one of the best things about Emulation Station, I spent the past two days, I, I, so I set up my Odin 2 and I made my video about it and whatnot. But then I also was reviewing an Ambernic device, the RG556, also has Am and Android on it. And so I set all that up too. And like in spending those like two days really getting it set up, I found the number one feature about Emulation Station that I didn't realize that I loved so much is the fact that you can go in and delete the game from emulation station and it deletes it from your device and so like I, i'll mm -hmm. do that sometimes i'll throw a bunch of games on there or maybe i'm like testing one game and i leave it on the sd card and then all of a sudden i've got like two versions of wizards and warriors which is strange but that was one of the issues i had and so i was like i do not need two versions of the same game usually you'd have to go into the files app find it and then delete it or whatever and you can't go into like uh, an emulator you know like go into dolphin right. and delete it to gamecube game you can't do that emulation station will delete it and the xml file all the media right then and there which is pretty amazing and i haven't seen a front end that does that in android on the fly like that and that's pretty awesome that's very cool um yeah i will say that i know that you said it's five minutes moving files and i was like oh those people couldn't do that i'm st i didn't do it either like i didn't i didn't <laughs> go through the the process of installing the amazon store on my thing on the, yeah, it is the a pain. app yeah like once it gets easier i'm all for it i will say this like the the point that it's five dollars and like nobody was donating to the guy i have to admit i never sent the guy any money and i use i use this stuff every single day i love that he decided to charge for this because yeah. clearly he's put a lot of work into it and it's used by so many people. I love that he decided to try and get paid for his work because I've been just riding for free this whole time, and I feel a little bad about that. So, you know, once it comes yeah, to the Google a, Play Store, I'll probably buy it. He had a Patreon, and uh, I was like one of ten people that were paying into it. You know, and just like I'll do that. Like I like I see something I like, and there's no way to buy it. I'm like, okay, well I'll support them this way or whatever. But as soon as he made the Android app, he just closed his Patreon. He was like, you know, I'm closing this down. Don't need it. Like we'll just put all the we'll have one way to funnel in money for me, and it's going to be through the Android version. And so it's been I I don't know how well it's been doing for him financially or any of that kind of stuff, but I do know that like the day I made my video. 
The following day, it was the number one app on the Amazon App Store. There's a whole weird thing where it's not on the Play Store yet, and it's mostly Google permissions issues. And so he's still working through all that. He's just trying to talk to a human who will allow him to like have his app on there. But all these bots right. keep like preventing it or whatever. But anyway, he put it on the Amazon App Store as an alternative, and that like happened in five minutes. And so that's like my video says, okay, you got to use the Amazon App Store to get this app, but it'll work on any Android 11 or above device. You just have to go through Amazon to get it. Um, but anyway, yeah, so it's just kind of amazing that it went to become the number one app on the App Store in the U.S. that following day, like beating out Minecraft. And that's like everyone with a Fire <laughs> tablet in the United States who's putting Minecraft on their device – Emulation stations got more, like at least for that 24-hour period. And so, as uh, I think this headline is going to say on this video is, uh, yeah, emulation station win or emulation wins again. So, yeah, it awesome. does. Um, <laughs> and I love that I, we we can see Russ's hands here on this uh, LilyPudding.com article. <laughs> see, I didn't even know that. That's awesome. That's yeah. I, I found it this morning when I was putting the show notes together. All right, one more emulation thing. Uh, that we got to talk about, and I can't remember what that is, but oh, it was the um, uh, okay, so the PlayStation Portal, which uh, <laughs> a lot of a, a lot of people were very unhappy when the PlayStation Portal came out, and they said, "Why can't we play games natively on this thing?" And uh, I, you know, a lot of people were like, "Well, you know, the the community is going to make this happen," and I said, "It doesn't even have an SD card port." It's going to be really hard for somebody to make this happen. And you know what? Doesn't matter what I think because somebody was actually able to pull this uh, pull this off. Russ, you have a PlayStation portal. Uh, I won't Love get it. into why I don't have one. Um, <laughs> are you going to do what you got to do in order to run this on there? Because can you go back from it? Yeah, so I, I know I, I read the tweet and it's from The Flow. The Flow is the guy who cracked the PS Vita. Like this guy knows what he's doing, right? He's always been on top of these things for the PlayStation stuff. So it's kind of amazing that he, this guy in particular is the one that's working on it, right? But yeah, he got PSP emulation working natively on the device. He doesn't say anything about how it performs. And he does mention in a follow-on <laughs> tweet that there's only eight gigabytes of online storage. So you can play your one PSP game, you know. Uh, I don't I don't see myself ever trying to do native emulation on the device, especially for limited to those eight gigabytes, unless it's something like Super Nintendo. I can throw those on there, you know, that kind of thing. What right. I want is the ability to put uh, XBX play on there, you know, to be able to play Xbox games on PlayStation Portal. That'd be awesome. Moonlight streaming, you know, things like that. So just smaller apps that are just dedicated for game streaming, NVIDIA GeForce Now. That kind of stuff would be amazing. I don't think I want to actually emulate on the PS Portal natively. What about, uh, you know, Carrie, you've been saying you hate this thing. This is a <laughs> terrible idea. Uh, you were the one who was constantly poking at me. It's going to be terrible. And then you were like, it's terrible. I was right. Um, which is hilarious because Russ loves this thing. But does this change your mind at all? <laughs> I don't think so. No. <laughs> no. It doesn't. I mean, it's really just a price thing for me, right? Like, at $200, I don't... This has no... It's just the thing of, like, why would you get it? I don't really understand. But I... You know, maybe for the controls, I can get it. Like, there's there's some things there, but I just, like... At a at $200, it's such a... You have to be such a PlayStation fan. And I know there's lots of them out there. Uh, and they've been... It's been sold out all the time because who knows how many they actually been manufacturing because who knows how... Uh, you know, what kind of thought they had of like in terms of unit sales that they were going to have, but they've been selling out 
of this unit constantly. Like Wario sixty four is constantly like, hey, it's available, and people are like, oh, I'll rush to go get that thing. I've never been a big fan of it. It's um, it's useful. I just think that the pricing for it is not aligned with well a lot of a lot of people's expectations. That's mm. my that's my feeling. But it's been selling out, so what the hell? Well, you know what do I know? Um, yeah. I mean, for it to be hacked and to play native PSP uh, PSP games, having it is funny to only have eight gigs of storage on board. It almost seems like Sony was like, "Let them hack it, <laughs> like, <laughs> go nuts." <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, what are you gonna do there, huh? Is like, yeah, I'm gonna put my Super Nintendo collection on there. I don't believe it. Right? Yeah, it's um okay. It, it, it's a thing. I, this hacking situation doesn't really change my mind all that much on it. Um, for what it's worth, my my nephew has a uh, PS Portal, uh, so he he plays. Uh, you know, he uses it periodically whenever he, whenever he needs to. Um, so it it's a thing that it exists and people buy it. Despite despite my like just screaming and once again screaming in the background, just like <laughs> just buy a Steam Deck. <laughs> like, well, I mean, Russ, you have a million different devices that you could I use. Do to do this but you you reach for the ps portal to to play your 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 ps5 games um via streaming all the time why is it that you reach for that instead of all the other devices because it's literally playing the ps5 like on a screen you know what i mean like it's it's the steam deck is close you know it's got that nice ergonomic grip and stuff it's not a playstation controller like it's got a playstation controller on it it just feel it's got all the rumble haptic stuff you know when i shoot my bow and arrow in horizon zero dawn or whatever like i have the resistance and the trigger like all those things it's just a ps5 that i can lay in bed and play and so i don't think of it as a handheld at all even though i've got all those other handhelds that can do the same streaming this is just an accessory to me and uh I love it. Like it just as much as I love, like I used to love my Xbox elite controller when I was playing destiny two or destiny one back in the day. Cause I had those back paddles and I could jump by not having to take my finger off the thumb and so, or off the right thumbstick. And so those kind of things are awesome, you know? Uh, and, and yeah, I like it as an accessory. And so for me, it's just like an extension of my PlayStation five. And so that's why I like it. And of course I could do that on anything, but I don't know. It just fits. That's awesome. Um, we've got a bunch more topics to talk about. We've, we're going to be talking about uh, PSVR 2. Uh, we got Proton. We've got maybe PS5 Pros coming out later this year. But before we talk about all those topics and a whole bunch more, uh, we want to talk about the games that we've been playing. Uh, Russ, it says here in, the, in our show notes, you've been, you finished Horizon Forbidden I West. I That's did. The Burning Shores like, DLC. I, on the on the portal or on your big screen half and half you know that's a game that i don't mind playing on the portal because uh i think it still looks really good but man the game is gorgeous on a 4k tv and so i do prefer to play it on tv and i did finish it on tv i wanted to have like that you know really nice cinematic experience and so it was okay the game is the game is awkward it's a clunky kind of awkward game like you could just tell no no like shade on guerrilla games at all but you can just tell it's got a a bit of an ESL kind of feel to it. Like it was just like the native English speaking, you know, like it's just a little bit off because Guerrilla Games is from, I don't know, somewhere like I think Denmark or something like that. And so it's just always just a little, it doesn't, they're trying to do the Hollywood production thing, but it's not like Naughty Dog where it just feels correct. And like all the pacing and everything's perfect. This one's always got that weird, like European, like kind of just 
slightly foreign feel to it. And it's been that way with Killzone games. All that stuff has always been just a little bit off for me. Same thing here. Uh, it's just a, a slightly awkward game, you know. But the gameplay mechanics are fine. The story is interesting enough, you know. Uh, it's not a game that I think a lot of people, like, I can't just heartily recommend it for anybody, you know. But if you want, like, an open world game and, um, you know, the the ability to either just go straight into the storyline, which is all I really did, or you can kind of meander if you'd like. It all works. It, it's a solid 7.8 out of 10 is what I would give it. So not quite an 8 out of 10, you know, uh, and not a 7.5 out of 10, but just somewhere in between there, basically. <laughs> it's fine. I finished it. So I feel like they the, yeah. they they got screwed both times because when the first one came out, they released right on the heels of Breath of the Wild, another mm-hmm. hugely popular open world game that, in my opinion, did things better. That's not to say it's bad. Uh, Horizon Zero Dawn was was really, really good, but it wasn't Breath of the Wild for me. And then when the sequel comes out, it comes out right at the same time as another hugely popular, highly anticipated open-world game, Elden Ring. Mm. And it, it just it gets overshadowed every single time. And... um like Elden Ring, we just found out the date of the DLC for that. Um, but it just feels like this game never was able to grab me like those other games were. And I kept feeling like as I was playing it, I would run into like you could only climb in certain areas. So you like you go up to the thing and it's like, oh, here's the things that you, you know, the yellow paint yeah. or whatever, or I think it was white in Horizon Zero Dawn. Um like, here's the things that you can climb, but I had just finished playing Zelda, and I could climb wherever mm. the hell I wanted, no matter what I was doing, as long as I had the stamina for it. And it felt restrictive in a way that wasn't, that that took me out of the game. Now, yeah. if I had played it without ever playing those other games first, maybe my t- tune would change. I will say that I loved the VR game where i'm like building my arrows and stuff with my hands it was really cool Mm. um and i just i wish that i liked that this game as much as everybody else does because everybody always raves about how great it is yeah it was uh there was definitely some other awkward points like jumping in that game like if you need to jump from one rock to another it never feels like you're going to actually do it like there's just something off about it you know and so there's just these weird awkward moments to it it doesn't have a very solid feeling like some other games do. And so, yeah, it's got its issues, but all the time, like all the same, it was still, you know, if I got 20 minutes to kill, uh, I could just jump into it after dinner for a little bit. And it did take me in a, a year and a half to beat this dang game. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it was great. Combat in that game, though, is really good. Like the combat is yeah, very that's, satisfying. Carrie, mm-hmm. uh, what have you been playing, man? So I've been Pecking away at Brotato in the ba- in the background uh, periodically. Uh, I've gone through a bunch of that. I am going to fully finish that. Like when I say finish that game, is that I'm going to get every achievement possible on that game. Um, so I've been playing that and just pecking away at it. And then you and I also got a nice round in of Helldivers two, which I agree with you, um, uh, Bill. But it's it's a nice game to play in between games uh, because it's <laughs> like. It, there is no overarching thing. There is no thing. You just choose a mission. You go into the mission, and the missions are kind of whatever. But you go through the paces, and then you can kind of just bounce away from it. So there's no 
general idea of like you needing to like peck away at this thing. This thing is to fill fun time in between mm-hmm. other fun times. Yeah, like we were playing uh, yesterday. I played it for hours yesterday. I was playing with some some other friends early in the morning, and then they lo- or I logged off to go eat lunch. And when I came back, they had logged off, and I was like, "Oh man, I really want to play Helldivers too." So I I sent a message in, like I was I was playing with randoms, and uh, which it has a ping system, so you don't have to talk to anybody, which is wonderful. Uh, but then I just Beautiful. messaged into our Discord, Helldivers 2, anyone? And then he Fox got on, and we were, oh, wait, I'm supposed to call you something different now. What am I supposed to call you? You have a new oh. name. <laughs> uh, what, what was it? Uh, the Tech Reviewer? Tech, tech Reviewer, reviewer Carrie. Carrie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe we can fill people in uh at the end of the show on what that's all about uh but anyway carrie got on and he and i we were playing and it was absolutely a blast and there's this one moment which i saw that you had tweeted out where you had sniped a like we had gotten pretty far away from each other like i you know i went went off on doing a thing and carrie was doing something else and he's sniping these dudes that happen to be near me and i see of like a bug go flying past me like really fast and i said did you do that and he goes yeah i just got an achievement for shooting something at over a certain distance or whatever the the way that things happen in that game where just like you see bugs go flying or if you're fighting against the robots like the crazy explosions constantly happening it's so intense, and there was even one one point where I had died, and Carrie's trying oh, to he's trying to um, do a, uh, what's it called Re- the, str- the stratagems, yeah, a stratagem where he calls you know he revives me as, essentially by calling in a, a reinforcements. Yeah, he's trying to do reinforcements, and he's got the little essentially pokeball that you throw in order to say this is where I want the reinforcements <laughs> to land. He's got the Pokeball, and he throws it and dies. And then I land, and I am just surrounded by bugs, and I am just – I'm running. And I just run (laughs) because there's – we were were already at, like, the maximum number of uh, reinforcements you could have. And so I'm just running for, like, two minutes because (sighs) we have to wait for the cooldown to finish, and the bugs are just chasing me. For two minutes, I'm running – and then finally I was able to call it in, and then he was able to – like, he came, and we ended up winning – but it was really intense and really fun, yeah. and that game is punctuated with moment after moment after moment that is, it is. like that. Yeah, the uh, the automatons. I'm a I'm a huge fan of they they whoever whoever the character designs for that deserves a gold star or multiple gold stars because that is like hey you know Terminator those guys aren't really all that frightening looking why don't the like if they're designed to like kill humans why don't we have things that are like why don't we design these things to like just maim them so there's like there's robots with like dual chainsaws coming after you and it's like they just look absolutely menacing uh the the clip that i shared i love because it ends when like i'm looking around and i totally miss because i'm looking on the right i play on a 48 inch monitor so i'm literally moving my head around when i'm playing because i'm two (laughs) feet away from it so i move and i'm looking over here and then i see something out of my periphery and i'm like what is that and i see just the horde this is after the the 100 meter thing and i'm like oh s 
this is bad. And, I'm like, and Bill's like 100 meters away, right? And I'm like, oh, no. I only have a sniper rifle and my, my little my little machine gun. I'm not going to do anything for these guys. Um, but then they have the adats the that are there. And it's uh, it's uh, it, it really is punctuated with these moments of just intensity and the, how they do everything. It is really amazing. And I think that uh, they, they struck gold. They have lightning in a bottle here where... Uh, it's those same moments from those any type of game that you have where you're just like um, it, for what it's worth Halo has done this for me in multiplayer but not in the same thing is that they how the map is designed uh, there's such a, a focus on it that where you put the weapons and stuff that there's these contention points that just naturally occur and they have that in Helldivers 2 because you're going to mission objectives in these spots and because they have those there's these contention points that just bring out this 30 seconds of fun that happens mm-hmm. And it's 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 so well tuned. It is such a well tuned machine that uh, Helldivers Two deserves all the uh, praise it gets because it just manages to extract fun in a, a continual dosage. That uh, it's it's such it's such an amazing game, and I just wish that we could get more people playing. Because uh, if we had four people, I think we'd just have a, a absolute blast. Yeah, absolutely. I will say that the the people Arrowhead Games have made, had said that they're doubling their uh, capacity, but it's still not enough because the game is so popular right now. Right, which is just it's crazy to me. Although I didn't have any trouble connecting to the servers yesterday. Yeah, the only yeah. issue that he like Carrie and I had was like when like I'd be like, "Hey, invite me," and he'd be like, "You're offline." And I'm like, no, you're offline. And we were just having that back and (laughs) forth where we couldn't get it to work. And we closed the game down and turned it back on a bunch of times. Uh, And then eventually we got connected. And then everything was was cozy. Everything was great. It was easy. Uh, But just getting that initial connection was kind of a pain. Um, I've been playing uh, also Helldivers. uh, But I also have been playing the Final Fantasy VII Rebirth demo as well as the Mm. DLC for Final Fantasy VII Remake because I was watching, I don't know what show it was, but Maximilian Dude was on it. And he was talking about the how like there's something to get going on with the story of the DLC and how they're going to integrate that into the into rebirth which comes out on the 29th which is in four days as i as we're recording and so i was like okay i guess i better play that i was gonna skip it but i'm gonna i'm I'm working on that right now um but the demo for final fantasy 7 rebirth holy cow i cannot believe how much better this plays than final fantasy 7 remake it is like the combat is really really cool it's it feels the same but you have these these other new abilities where you can basically pair up two characters and you could kind of do you could do this in um the DLC of uh remake so like when Yuffie and like her I don't remember their names the 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 guy that that's working with Yuffie uh like when they both have an ATB bar you could say, oh, well, let's work together and do a maneuver where they work as as a team in tandem. Well, now hmm. every single character in Final Fantasy VII uh, Rebirth, they all have pair-ups with all of the other characters. And when when you have enough ATB on multiple characters, you can say, okay, uh, I'm going to have Aerith do some magic 
And as she does that magic, Red 13 is going to like howl in through the magic and send the magic out further. And it's just all of these really cool um, combat moments that I really am enjoying. And the first game was very hallway, like just going down a freaking hallway. I love the game, especially the second half of the game. The first half is a little weak because the combat doesn't give you enough options. As you get more powerful, you get more options. It makes it more fun. But the first game is very hallway, hallway, hallway. This game, holy cow, it feels like just in the demo, I could go wherever I wanted. And not only that, but I'm also in control of my party because, yeah, I've got my three that I'm teamed up with, but the other members of the party are there too. They're just off to the side shooting, not really doing anything. But if I see... I don't know, a monster that has weak against thunder or something. And I know that Barrett has thunder materia on him. Before we go into combat, I can switch the members of my party to be Mm. like, okay, it's going to be Cloud and Barrett and Aerith, and we're going to go in and do the thing. And then the next fight I can say, oh, this time is going to be Cloud and Red 13 and Yuffie. And I go in and do that thing. That is really cool. And everything that I've heard about the reviews of this game currently in 92 on uh metacritic this is probably going to be my game of the year because just the demo i'm completely sucked in and i i even started playing the original on my miu mini plus uh again so (laughs) i'm hyped for it russ did you get any further in the game because i know that you were i did were running into the issues that i had if you're an athlete you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, I forgot. Uh, I didn't put that in the show notes. But yeah, I played that a uh, good two nights over this past week. Like I just sat down. I was like, I got to I told Bill I was going to play. It. I'm going to play it, you know, and so I like <laughs> kind of held myself accountable. And so I got through the train graveyard. I'm now in episode 12 or chapter 12 of 18. So I'm I'm pretty far along in it. Uh, I'm enjoying it. You know, it's there's just some cheesiness to it, you know, which is just kind of awesome and also like just kind of cringy at the same time, you mm-hmm. know, but um like it's one of those where there are times when I'm playing the game and I'm like, I hope my wife doesn't walk in right now because like the way that they like angle Tifa or whatever, I'm just like, Oh my oh, God. This is like, this was awesome in the nineties, you know, back when they were just like these little polygons, but now it's like, it's a little too much, you know? And so, uh, there've been those moments, but yeah, I, I'm enjoying it. I thought that the game came out this past week and I was like, there's no way I'm going to get it done in time. Uh, now I might be able to, however, I did read an article and I think it's in our show notes too, that like, it might be four years before we have the one after this. And so I, yeah. I, I that kind of took all the rush out. I'm like, okay, well, maybe I'll just wait till it's, you know, half price, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, 
I mean, I, it was the first one came out in 2020, was first unveiled in 2015. You know, and then it came out in 2020, and now here we are four years later. So it makes sense that the next right. one's going to take another four years. Um, as far as what you were saying with, like, how they put point the camera towards Tifa and stuff, if you've seen any of the trailers for Rebirth, it's so much worse because... Oh, no. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. like, because I don't know if you remember in the original one, you end up going to, like, a, a beach town or whatever, and everybody gets bathing suits and stuff, and so... Like, you've got, like, Tifa and Aerith. They're wearing skimpy outfits. Well, I mean, everybody's wearing skimpy outfits except for except for Barrett, who's wearing a sailor's, a sailor's uniform, <laughs> which is <laughs> hilarious. Um, but, yeah, you're going to see a lot of that same stuff, which I'm, I'm with you. Like, I don't want the idea. Like, I want to play the game because the game is fun. The story mm. is very, very interesting to me, and I don't remember half of what happens in it. Um I want to I want to experience that and I, I but I don't want somebody looking over my shoulder and saying, "Oh, that's the stuff you're into, you weirdo." You know what I mean? <laughs> not that I mean not that anybody is going to see what I'm playing or whatever, but it it has that it's just a little it's almost a little like, "Really?" I'm like yeah. This feels like yeah. it's for a teenager, you know. It's uh, fan service has gone too far sometimes. You just like, mm-hmm. well, when when fan service goes too far, it it will uh, actively make me not want to play a game, and I feel like Fire Emblem has been one series of games where fan service is just rock like hockey sticked up is like even like the covers of these games is like Fire Emblem isn't supposed to be like this is a heavy strategy <laughs> game, and this just looks like waifus. <laughs> this is like <laughs> this is a totally different. So yeah, there's like certain things that like. Uh, too much fan service. I'm I'm in agreement with you guys, and we're probably way in the minority here uh, with that oh, because yeah. the, the, there's so many people on Twitter that are reposting that uh, beach scene, and I'm seeing them in like maid cafe outfits, and they're like, "Oh, I'm gonna so buy this game. I'm gonna live." Well, I <laughs> hope you have a good time, dude. But uh, back to what you were saying, Bill, about the joining the powers. There is, I think, this is one thing that I think is a favor to that game, and kind of talking about Helldivers 2 is that there are these, when you go into those fighting segments and you have that teamwork that's going on, there are these gifable, jiffable 30 second moments that are just, they sell the game itself. You don't, you don't even say anything. Just you post this 30 second, 15 second clip that is going to mm-hmm. happen in a game. You didn't arrange it. You didn't like, you know, do all this stuff to like make this happen. Like how Monster Hunter type of stuff works, where the the person is so good that they actually made this thing happen, right? Like you know, he's like timing this perfect swing and stuff. Like you don't have to do that as much in in uh, in Rebirth. And I seen there's one scene where Barrett is teaming up with someone else. I forget what it was, but it was just such an epic cinematic anime scene. What I it turns out that I like is Shonen and Shonen only. So Shonen mm-hmm. is like fighting fighting anime so dragon ball uh uh demon hunter or whatever um mm-hmm. but basically just fighting stuff right is so like you could see the the progress of whoever you're going along with and they start off you're watching almost like an rpg right you're watching an anime rpg is what what it comes down to and that's yeah. the type of stuff that i wound up uh, liking or like one punch man which is a satire of all that type of stuff uh which is just funny and i'll enjoy watching that but uh, that's what winds up happening with Rebirth. It, it kind of has these epic cinematic anime quality, like top tier 
awesome view angles. Like it's like the camera like shifts and it's just amazing looking. You're like, wow, that that looks awesome. So like when you're talking about Red Thirteen howling through the magic, and it's like you get to see all that when you see it happening without Bill like you know spending two minutes to say what's happening. It's far more impactful, and I think that's going to help sell the game a bunch. Is once the game is like out and people are playing, you're going to start seeing all these like thirty second clips of awesome combat scenes that are happening, and that alone is just going to start propelling it even more. The one thing that I heard from someone that's reviewing the game, he's like, uh, "I'm 120 hours in the game, and I still think I got like uh, 80 more hours to go." And I was like, "That's that's something that I don't." But this is like platinum territory, I guess. So people that are looking to platinum the yeah. game. Yeah, is I was watching a podcast this weekend, and somebody said that they finished it in 80 hours, which, again, most of the time, 80 hours, I'm like, ooh, I don't know about that. Yeah. I, I think I spent 40 hours playing uh, Remake total, and I finished it, so 80 hours seems like a bit much, but this is open world, so that changes things a little bit. Like, you have a little more freedom to go around and do things, so I think you could probably streamline your experience with this a lot more. There, that there is, is a con- scary 80 yeah. hours is scary to me like i horizon forbidden west and the dlc you know i just finished it 38 hours and it took me a year and a half yeah <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> so maybe i need those four years i don't know that's that's a lot of time 80 hours i Damn. i think the problem is for us we are the minority really like we're like oh fan service oh oh 120 hours Ugh. like and <laughs> Everyone else is like, yeah, fan servers, yeah, 300 hours. And I'm just like, just totally different mind spaces for where where this is at. For what it's worth, I would say that Rebirth has is far more geared towards people that were looking forward to that. So mm-hmm. it is, it's banging on all cylinders for the people that are huge fans of that. Um, not to say that people that aren't huge fans of that can't find fun in it. It's just that... There are certain parts of it, like we're looking at, like, ooh, eighty hours, like, ugh, like that's gonna take me. I don't. Can I even? Should I even invest time into that? That's like something that seems impenetrable. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I think will you're say right about that, that whole. Oh, go ahead. Uh, well, I will say that when you're looking at that eighty hours, what a lot of people who've been reviewing the game have been saying is that it has. A ridiculous amount of mini games, which is very reminiscent of the original Final Fantasy VII. Lots and lots of little mini games that you can do. And a lot of the, like, it feels like that 80 hours is going to be broken up by segments of different, differentiated gameplay. Where, yeah, I'm not, I'm not really doing that same thing for 80 hours. Like, you know, I, I, I'm in this area and this is the kind of stuff that I'm doing. But then when I get to the next area, like gold saucer, now I'm doing completely different things. And that breaking apart of that 80 hours, that seems a little bit more palatable to me. That being said, I also understand that there's a lot of people that like to assign like dollar value to the number of hours that they play a game. I've never really thought that way. But I can understand why people would look at a game and say, well, I'm pen- I'm spending $70 on this. I better get a lot of hours of gameplay out of it because, you know, I could have bought something else. And so I, I do understand that. I just know that for me, sometimes the big number of hours that you can spend playing a game can make me wary to start it because I know that I'll never get to the end. That being said... 
I got to the end of Final Fantasy Remake, and I didn't think I would ever get there. Because, yeah, it's only 40 hours, but still, it took me a while. Uh, you know, the game's been out for four years. It took me four years to beat it. Russ, what mm. were you going to say? I was just going to, kind of going back to when Carrie was talking about those 30-second snippets, you know, that'll really sell the game once that's actually out. There's a, I think there's even another layer on top of that because not only is it going to be like cool gameplay and stuff, it's going to be a layer that is cool gameplay with your beloved characters from your childhood. And mm-hmm. that is like, you know, that's like a double whammy right there. And so uh, I think I think it is one of those things that, yeah, the right people at some I think all of us Final Fantasy fans at some point are just going to break and buy the game. You know, there's going to be enough like cool nostalgic moments where we're like, all right, I do want to live that moment. You know, whether or not the 80 hours of gameplay like to get to those moments are going to be worth is another story. You know, there's a the idea like I like the idea of having variety in a game, you know, like I love the Metal Gear Solid games for that because they always throw you like new things, you know, that kind of stuff, which is another game I was playing over this week. But there's time if that if those extra gameplay moments are not good then it's a chore and then you're and it pulls you right out of that experience and so you, you'd really have to find that balance you know i the only thing i can think of in like final fantasy 7 remake so far where it's been a distraction that i've enjoyed it has been playing darts like that was fun like i was like all right let me see if i can get like good darts or whatever inside of like tifa's bar or whatever that's the only time where i was like this is a fun distraction all the other times oh. where it's like potion making or whatever i'm like don't i don't want to do any of this stuff you know give me the tunnel the hallway gameplay over that stuff at least if it's not good enough you know what i mean so it's a hard distraction yeah i I will say that speaking of the mini games everybody who's reviewed the game is going bananas over the card game that's in this game it's Mm. called queen's blood and the amount of p the the amount of just chatter out there about how good queen's blood is makes me really wish that square enix would release games like that outside of the game that they are played in so you could play against the other people. So if, you know, Russ and Carrie wanted to sit down and play a game of Queen's Blood against each other, they could do that and they could do it mm. on their phone. And I'm reminded of when Todd Howard went out on 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 stage at E3 and he said, Fallout 4 is coming out later this year but if you want to play fallout right now we've got a phone game that you can play fallout was it fallout shelter yeah 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 fallout you can play fallout shelter on on your device of choice and people were really enjoying that this is the kind of thing that i think square should be releasing queen's blood on your phone on steam uh, on the consoles and stuff in order to help build hype for Final Fantasy, not that they really need to build hype for Final Fantasy Rebirth, um, but in order to help build that and they could capitalize on the popularity of Rebirth and probably capture a whole bunch of dollars through, you know, have gold sure. around the edge of your card or whatever, like little little right. microtransactions. <laughs> I feel like they did this with Gwent, right? Like the Witcher right. 3 cart game where mm-hmm. there was an yeah. app for that one too. And I thought that was brilliant. I never played either of them, but I thought it was just super cool that you could take Witcher 3 with you on the go. Like it was kind of cool. Yeah. It, oh, it would be really cool if you could have the cards that you have in Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. <laughs> yeah. Look at that. Uh, for here? the audio listeners, Carrie just stood up 
and grabbed a <laughs> copy of the Witcher 3 Gwent starter pack or whatever uh, that he was holding in his hand there uh, for a second. That's that's really cool. I've never played those games, so I don't know anything about Gwent, but I know everybody loves Gwent. So this actually they gave away for free at PAX East one year. Mm-hmm. Um, so they just had boxes and boxes of these that they were just like handing out for free. Uh, so I picked up a set, but is yeah, that a can, physical um, game? Yeah, that well, it's 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 in the game as well, but they printed out all the cards so that you can play it physically. That's cool. Uh, oh, that's really cool. Um, yeah, so this is the physical version of Gwent, a uh, full thing, so you can just go ahead and play like actually with people that know how to play Gwent. Uh, so that's yeah, another so, Square Enix thing that they could do is make a oh, Queen's yeah. Blood physical set as well, yes. and all the card yeah. playing guys be into it. That'd be cool yeah. too. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of the type of synergy that can happen with those types of things, right? Like, if you can have Queen's Blood and the phone thing and whatever you're doing linked up with your PlayStation or whatever, your Square Enix account, and then that can kind of translate to the game itself, that type of stuff I, I'm such a huge fan of. Uh, I, For me, I think that those types of things, especially for all of us, this is more for us people than the people that are like, yeah, 140 hours. And uh, the point I'm trying to make here is that, you know, like uh, auto battlers or things that uh, auto clickers, cookie clickers type of thing, right? Like you kind of do this micromanagement and then you say, okay, that's as good as I can make it right now. And you put the game away in the background, but it's still like doing things in the background, right? It's still earning you stuff in the background. And I feel like there is that segment of the game, especially if you were to play like Skyrim or anything else where you needed to uh, need a certain amount of material to build something, right? I would rather do the micromanagement on my phone and be like, okay, this guy has to go farm that stuff and that guy has to go farm that stuff. I don't want to farm that crap myself in a game. That I the last thing I want to do is like pink. <laughs> like you know what I mean? Like I don't want to be spending my time just holding X and just, you know, doing this one action <laughs> over. I would rather that be a synergy mobile game where you can micromanage that and then all the material that you earn doing that goes in your real game and then you can actually start crafting stuff. That is such a better idea to me in so many ways. And I think Queen's Blood goes in that, not saying that that would be material, but gold, right? Like there's there's gill or whatever that you would get in, in game um, or lose it, right? Like, you know, like right. I think that that's, <laughs> Uh, I think that's cool. I think that's a cool thing that has a nice synergy to it. And um, I don't know. Uh, it's definitely something that I, I'm in agreement with you guys. But I could also understand that, you know, it's time and investment and money and whatnot and production yeah. time. I think you're more likely to do the whole pink thing like <laughs> when you're waiting in line, you know, or something. Yeah. And you're like, okay, I can just knock out a few of these. It reminds me of Mass Effect 2. I don't know if you guys played that game. But, man, I remember devoting an entire evening to mining materials from those planets. And I was just <laughs> like, I can't believe, like, this is my evening is just doing this so that I can get whatever achievement or progress in whatever way I need it. <laughs> And so that's always the thing that, like, because of that one evening and that poor experience, I, I right. have no uh, um, patience to do it in any other game now, basically. I, 100%. I feel like they're everyone – it's either the, this is the make or break moment and some people just don't get it. Uh, and there's been, like, uh, World of Warcraft for me was, like, my grinding moment. Like, mm. I had – I was level 54 warlock and I had managed to find this like perfect set where everything that I would go on when I killed these mobs, as soon as I finished my set, it would respawn and it was like perfect. And I was doing, I was like, man, I got the perfect time for this. And this like wave of like loser, like came over. It's like, you're a loser. And I'm like, what the hell am I doing? (laughs) Like, I'm not even like, I'm just like min maxing, like how to do this particular thing. I'm not, what am I even doing? This is not, 
advancing skill in the game or anything. It's just making numbers go up and slowly. Like, what the hell am I doing? And I just felt got away from that game. So anytime I have this sense of grinding in a game where it's just numbers going up, I just immediately like, ugh, like just I'm disgusted by it, and I don't even want to entertain it anymore. Um, <laughs> disgusted yeah, by it. I am. It's it. I, I, any type of grinding is just like I can see this loser wave coming, and I'm like, no, thank you. I'm not. In, I'm not going to have any loser wave. Thank you. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> but yeah, uh, it's hilarious. Oh my goodness! All right. Well, uh, speaking of losers. PlayStation <laughs> decided that they uh, that they didn't have enough games for the PSVR two, which I agree. Um, I I remember opening up my PSVR two and playing Horizon, whatever it's called, Call of the Mountain or whatever, and having an absolute blast with it. But most of the time, my PSVR two sits in a box. Like I really don't play it very often. I don't know if it's because there's not enough games for it, or if it's because the games that there are, that are available for it are not interesting to me. Uh, I think the number of games that I've played on that thing has not come anywhere close enough to justify the amount that I spent on it, which really makes me regret that I bought it. But a little bit of that regret might actually be going away soon because it looks like PSVR 2 uh, is and this is officially from their blog, uh, is going to be compatible with PC soon. Now, we're going to talk about what this actually means in a second, but, Carrie, you bought one uh, on a discount, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, are you excited for this uh, because oh. of this change or, or what? Because you also I'm have a Quest excited. 3. I have a Quest 3. I also have a Valve Index. So uh, I have a Quest 2. I have the DK2 Oculus. I have so many <laughs> VR headsets that it's uh, absurd. I'm not the hugest. Like, I'm not a, a VR enthusiast. Well, I guess I am, but like not to are. the same degree. <laughs> like, uh, sadly, it's Bradley, right? Like, that dude lives and breathes uh, VR stuff. And I get all of my up-to-date news from, sadly, it's Bradley on Twitter. Um, so that dude I always, like, follow just to get what's going on. But... Knowing that there was work going on in the background from like people trying to hack getting PSVR two to work on PC, and now Sony is just like, no, we're just going to um, you know support PC with PSVR two. I think that's really awesome, especially because we talked about this prior is that PSVR two does have eye tracking, and uh, I think that there's a a, a a lens here, and people are saying, well, eye tracking is not going to be supported by a bunch of different games because developers need to target it. it, it what you know, this, that, and the other. However, there is a component here that can work in terms of rendering. And when you are using rendering and using foveated rendering, that is also a technique that you can do. So that means that it's going to be lowering the barrier to the amount of performance that are needed to actually render higher resolution stuff because of the foveated rendering information that the PSVR 2 is giving a system. You can only render stuff what you're looking at and you're going to have a much cleaner thing. And I think that this is also part of um, OpenXR that it could adopt and handle if it's not already there. Um, again, I'm not really in tune with all that stuff because I kind of just use it and play with it instead of like geeking out on the technical side. 
Uh, but I would wager to guess that OpenXR already has this functionality, which is this underlying layer that kind of com- uh, makes it cohesive against all these different VR headsets that Steam VR also uses. So there's like things that are there that necessarily like, well, you know, you don't have touch controllers. Well, that's okay because, you know, you have hand tracking and OpenXR. Hand- so there's like things that like uh, will handle outside use cases and try to create a seamless existence between the both of them. So I am a huge proponent of this because I feel like it's going to be another a VR headset that can come into the market and because I had bought mine for like 350 um with the controllers that's a good price for a thing now it is wired only and Quest 3 can be wireless when I still think wireless is a much better I think wireless is a better experience overall it's such a more freeing experience uh, and mm-hmm. I'm such a big fan of it and that alone even if it is not as good as whatever I will still like even Quest 2 is uh, wireless and I almost will tell people to get that if it's, it's like cheap enough and they want to just explore it just because wireless on PC is a uh, wi- wireless VR is such a big experience um but if for people that are like you know what I just want to uh, test this out maybe it with the eye tracking it can do some cool stuff I'm a big fan of it I think it's awesome This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups In breaking news leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate However it appears the study was inconclusive as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yeah, I put out a video yeah, really? yesterday and I said, I said that, you know, the, the it's got the foveated rendering. That's the one thing that it has as a leg up over the Quest 3. A lot of people in the comments pointed out that it also has OLED as screens. So the blacks are it's black. It, like the pixels are turned off and there's no extra mm-hmm. backlighting. And as somebody who's only used the PSVR two, that's something I don't really think about because I haven't had that experience of not being on an OLED screen. Russ, what were you going to say? I just, uh, I think this is a win-win for like everybody. You know what I mean? Like this will sell more PSVR two units because people will, I mean, this, now hear me out here, but I, I'm just speculating. But this essentially will mean if it is PC compatible, that you wouldn't have to own a PS5 yeah. to play like these PC VR games. So it's just an additional option of a PC or of a yeah PC VR headset, right? And so that makes it kind of compelling in its own way, mm-hmm. in that it doesn't have to be tied to that PS5 ecosystem. So I think it makes it compelling in that sense. If I didn't already have the MetaQuest 3, which I, I'm really enjoying, uh, this would make it a viable option for me when it wasn't before. Because I was like, I don't want to buy a thing just for uh, Horizon Call of the Mountain or whatever, you know. But what I would really like, the next step, if this was opened up and all that stuff, okay, put Horizon Call of the Mountain on the on Steam, Steam Store. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, so I can play it on my MetaQuest 3. Because that would be amazing, mm-hmm. too. And they, they're, they're going to yeah. make that money as well from the sale of the game. It's not going to be a full headset like sale. But at the same time, 
it's them kind of joining this overall VR spectrum. And so I, I like that idea because before that it was just kind of like, yes, they have these PlayStation VR games that you can play and that's, that's it, you know, but now I don't know, kind of opens up the whole world for everyone, which is cool. Yeah. And in exchange, Valve could put out Half-Life Alex on the PS5. So then you could play the, the best VR games wherever. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's like, yeah. when you're looking at the, the VR segment of the audience is so small and then to further fragment that by having all of these little tiny little silos uh is just a bad idea so i love that they're going to do this but here's my here's my question because i was like playing a game on my pc and my my pc has a 2060 uh, an rtx 2060 card and i was asking you guys i was like what should i what should i upgrade to like what 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 um, graphics card should I get to replace in this thing? And the the thing that occurred to me is with this, does my graphics card have to have USB C in order to be compatible with this headset? Because this headset is USB C, and mm. like I don't think my computer has Thunderbolt. Like it's it's a computer that i built myself and i don't think it has thunderbolt i don't even think it has USB-C ports on it um like what i have to have a graphics card is that the only way to have that go out no Jerry? so the answer is no okay, uh good. you'll still be yeah so as long as your system has USB-C out it'll work you just have to be mindful that it um so there's a few things to keep in mind is that it can be not the best because Especially for some machines, think of like the 7840U, right? That has its own iGPU, and typically that iGPU will be kind of tied to that USB-C port. So if it's doing a display port out, it has to go through that 7840U, which means that your main desktop discrete GPU is going to be taking that frame buffer, sending it through there to get out to the uh, USB-C part. So there can be situations where you have that type of overhead to think about, and there will be a penalty cost to that. So there is, uh, there is things that are like that, but uh, NVIDIA has stopped putting whatever reason. I guess they just found like, you know, whatever. It doesn't really matter because if the whole system has USB-C and all of them are starting to, we can just redirect out that way. And that has uh, largely you're just copying the frame buffer there. There is a penalty cost, but I guess NVIDIA is like, it doesn't matter. We don't need to put it in. It's just, it's just a waste of space and silicon for us to put it on the video card itself. It really comes down to the USB type ports you have on your computer, you know. So, like, the MetaQuest 3 has an official USB-C cable that you can use. So if you wanted to tie it to a PC, you can do it that way. Uh, and it's got a USB-A end on the on the other end. So it's USB-C into the device and then USB-A on the other end. And I think it's 3.2 Gen 2 as maybe the connection, or maybe Gen 1, actually. And so... Yeah, it's all going to come down to your PC and like what, like if you're still running, you know, rocking USB 2.0 on those ports, then yeah, you're going to, you're going to have some just bandwidth issues, you know, be what it comes down to if you have an old PC. That's fair. Yeah. Uh, You know, we also had this discussion before as well. And uh, largely I'm, I've been like kind of telling people to get laptops. And we had this discussion before is that laptops are really excellent pre-builds that are all kind of pre-designed you are kind of cemented to whatever you have there you can upgrade ram but for what it's worth the costs of them have been like at certain times you can get amazing deals on them and uh when you factor in everything that you get out of it and now the displays on these laptops are starting to get so unreal good that it's 
honestly a fantastic second screen to have if you think of like you know putting your laptop on the side and having a main screen is mm-hmm. that that's it scenario is so easy now that i just love recommending like pe- people like oh should i get a pre-built pc and i'm like if you're already in the mind for a pre-built think about getting a laptop uh because they they last a really long time yeah they're they're preset in their ways but you're going to be paying so little for what you're getting out of that that i find them to be such a good value and um it's an easy way to just upgrade yourself and upgrade the entire set it's like if you have an old yeah. pc right like how russ is saying you only have usb2 right but you just jam in this new honking gpu on there you have a bunch of old ports and a bunch of old stuff that is also the value of going to these newer things that um you're going to be upgrading yourself to the latest ports yeah so i was asking the, the the guys uh about uh what parts i should buy for my computer and they were like this is the cpu should you should buy this is the gpu you should buy and i went i looked at the price and i came back and i said words i was like no thank you that's a thousand dollars for that thing and then my daughter's fiance had uh texted me and he's like hey we're thinking about getting a computer that the both of us could use i wanted to be able to play games on it she wants to be able to just do computing stuff and uh he he was like what should i get and i said i don't know let me ask the guys because i don't know anything about like pc parts i don't know what's good and so i sent a message to the discord and carrie was like check out this laptop and that laptop was the same price as the graphics card that i was looking at at getting and i was like oh Maybe I'll just get a laptop because like right now I've got this giant computer case uh, over there and I could replace it's it's old. It's it, it runs games fine. I was able to get I was playing Final Fantasy seven remake uh, interguard intergrade uh, at 60 frames per second. But I had to go down to 1080p and I had to turn the textures down to low in order to maintain that 60 frames per second. And I was like, okay, if I bought this laptop, I wouldn't have to do that. And that makes, I mean, I already have a laptop. I don't need another laptop, but I don't have a gaming laptop. And I wouldn't really be getting it for it being a laptop, but just because it's the easy way to just buy a thing and plug it in and not have to deal with it. Um, yeah. If my wife is watching this, don't worry, honey. I'm not spending any money right now. I'd also, you know, well, it's one of the things that drew me to those mini PCs because some of those do have laptop GPUs in them. So the yep. one I use here on my desktop is the HX99G from Minis Forum. And I think it's like an $800 mini PC. But yeah, it's got a full GPU inside of it as well as, you know, nice integrated uh, like CPU too. And so uh, that's that's what I use because I didn't, I didn't ever see a need for like a laptop right. kind of thing. Otherwise, yeah, it's very similar. It's just without a screen and keyboard basically very similar yeah. setup with those oh uh i did submit the fox box to b link so here's nice. here's open they replied and said they got it and they'll decide later uh but yeah here's open because that would also be an awesome thing because then you could just upgrade the dgpu and you'd have like a set in place of like updated ports but even like you look at intel's intel's latest uh meteor lake stuff is not great for a handheld the gpu is i i got a 185h which is like their top end meteor lake and uh, it's uh, even more disappointing than I thought it would be um, in terms of, like, using it for gaming. But the CPU side of it 
is just a monster and can go up to 115 watts. And it's like, well, Jeez. if you had, wow. yeah, like you wouldn't do that on uh, a handheld because you'd be like, well, you know, what battery life? <laughs> right. <laughs> but if you have 20 it, minutes, it, yeah. If you if have you're it lucky. plugged in, yeah. If you have it plugged in, you don't care. And if you have that, if you have that CPU that's just chewing through 100 watts, that's not that bad in the desktop world. But you're also getting, you know, desktop grade CPU performance at that point. And if you can just slot in a full uh, 16x PCIe GPU, now you're like, I have this really tiny thing that's a high end gaming laptop, uh, high end gaming PC, and I can I can swap out my GPU at any point in time. And if it can be neat, I think that you know, neat in terms of the cable management, I think that. that's also another way that you can look at those things. So there's a lot, there's a lot of cool stuff uh, thinking about it in general, but uh, yes, there's, it's never been better. Well, there you have it. Uh, Speaking of GPUs um, real quick in the NVIDIA app, you know, for, for years, Mm. people on windows have had (laughs) the NVIDIA GeForce, uh, NVIDIA GeForce experience. And then the, GeForce, I don't remember what the other thing is, but I was... Control panel. Yeah, the control panel. And every time that I needed to do something in there, I was always like, which friggin' one am I supposed to use for this? I can't remember. And people got real mad when they decided to have us log in to download drivers. All -hmm. of that is going away. Um, It's currently in beta right now. And this is posted by Sean uh, Pelletier. He says, welcome to the NVIDIA app. The team... Uh, has taken all the feedback we've heard regarding NVIDIA Control Panel and NVIDIA um, GeForce Experience and leveraged it into a single application. Check out the beta, which is available today. Um, You guys do a lot more PC gaming than I do. I mostly just play on my Steam Deck and my consoles. Does this affect you, or do you guys have AMD GPUs? So I... I have a 3080 laptop version in my XG mobile, which is what I use with the ROG Ally, like my, my whole desktop setup thing, which is what I was playing Final Fantasy VII on. And so, yeah, that'll that'll affect that. I just, I, I'm looking forward to the day where I don't have to use control panel because that thing, it's cool in the sense that every time I open it up, I'm like, oh, hey, this is what 1998 used to look like, you know, <laughs> because the interface is just so old, you know. Uh, but other than that, yeah, I don't know. I just go in there, I install, you know, the drivers, you know, every week or two or whatever, whenever they're available. And that's about it. Back in the uh, day, the I bit- used to go into there a lot because I would like, I would switch between the um, gaming drivers and the I can't remember what the other drivers are called, but like the other non-gaming drivers because studio, studio. Thank you, because the studio drivers were better for streaming, essentially. So mm-hmm. if I was like recording, uh, like my like I would have my console going into my um, capture card, the studio drivers would give me better results that way. Um, but ever since I started using my Mac for content creation. I don't really use the capture card in my PC anymore. And so the PC is just a video game console for me now. Uh, so I don't really go into there anymore. What were you going to say, Kerry? The biggest problem for me, I, I never used a GeForce Experience. Whenever I install the drivers, uh, it's like, you know, you can do, you know, standard. And I just go custom, no NVIDIA GeForce Experience app, thank you. Uh, but the GeForce control panel, NVIDIA control panel, uh, while old, was also, I don't know how, uh, on... Like, it is the most uncharacteristic NVIDIA experience ever because every option that you choose is, like, with an eight-second delay. It's like, boop, okay, now I can choose. And it's it's <laughs> so bad. 
that like you're like what is nvidia doing like does anyone realize how awful this is whenever i would like okay my my refresh rate i want i like nvidia fast sync let me go check fast sync and it takes it's like 50 seconds to press three buttons and it's just why, mm. why is this so slow uh, so I think from that, I haven't tried the beta yet uh, because I'm hesitant. Uh, but it, it, at this moment, there's like parts of there that I think that they could combine a bunch of stuff because there's uh, the NVIDIA inspector tool, which is a hardcore tool and very fast, but not as a third party tool outside of NVIDIA. And it does a bunch of nice things that I think should be included in the main interface app. And I think it's something that NVIDIA would generally embrace, uh, but it goes more hardcore, right? Like you can like do per game um, uh, rebar, right? So you can say mm. on this game, turn rebar on or off. So there's those types of things that I think should just be in the main thing, but in a very fast fashion. Uh, how they're going to display it, like per game and stuff, I'm fine with that. Which is kind of uh, almost a front end ish. You can kind of look at it, like because it's like, okay, these are the games that you have installed. We recognize them. You click on this, you can set up the settings that you want per game. So you want rebar. That's the type of stuff that I'm talking about. Is like they should, if you're going to embrace that side where it should be slick with a front end, go the full nine yards, the Nvidia way that it should be, the way that people anticipate Nvidia should do it. Not having those advanced settings available by default but having a little toggle that says advanced settings and just bloop and then you'd see all those ones that come up i feel like if they could just get all that where you have your global settings that you can change rapidly and fast and then the advanced settings per game if they could do that then i will be fine uh but if my only option is to basically have be force fed the geforce experience uh and no more control panel it's just going to be an, a, a a lose-lose situation for me so I don't know. I haven't used it yet, but um, I'll just embrace the wave as it comes towards me. <laughs> it's funny because the adrenaline one sucks too in its own yeah. ways. You know, like they both have like figured out ways to just make the experience just not very fun. Yeah, like the performance it is just- better. Yeah. The only thing that I will say that adrenaline is better for, even though it is an absolute pain and not intuitive at all, especially with the hotkeys that you got to set up for like bringing it up is that it is less performance intensive than uh, like hardware info and Riva tuner. Like Riva tuner will right. uh, actually um, be a performance penalty uh, depending on how, especially whatever you're listing, right? Like whatever, however many sensors mm-hmm. you're, uh, it is a far more taxing process than uh, AMD's uh, filter, but no one uses that because it's such a pain to set up. And there's right. like different things that, that those come into, but yeah, a lot of those things I mean, for adrenaline where it doesn't even make any sense. Like, they support integer scaling on the thing. So like on a 7840U, you plug in an external display. It's like, do you want integer scaling on this display? Like, okay. And it's like, you go back and t- unplug the external monitor and you're on your in both display monitor and integer scaling just goes away. It's like, right. why is that gone? What? what <laughs> where did that come from? Why can I only do it on an external monitor? And yeah. like, you have to hack it in. And it's just like, why am I doing this? Why why is this such like a you have to just like do these incantations to just right. get what you want done? Uh, we really talked about this thing. previously, right? With the Lenovo Legion Go, 1600p resolution, right? So make yeah. it 800p and then integer scale it up and you would get yeah. better performance and it would look great. You can't yeah. do it because it has to be it can't be done on the native display. It has to be done yeah. on an external display. And so yeah. yeah, it's so stupid. And speaking of external displays with the Lenovo Legion Go, I, I for some reason it shut off behind me, but I had um, my Steam Deck hooked up to that screen that's right over my shoulder for audio listeners. Mm. You know what a screen is. Um, 
There was a screen over my shoulder, and I had Final Fantasy VII running in Emulation Station. Now, for some reason, it shut off in the middle of the show. But originally, I had my Lenovo Legion Go hooked up to do that. And it was like just running in the background back there because I thought it would look cool, kind of like how Russ has his TV in the background. Yeah. And it was working fine yesterday. And this morning, I walked in here. I grabbed my Legion Go off the desk because I was playing I was playing a game on it yesterday. I plugged it in and I don't know why, but now the the external monitor is rotated portrait to match this, but it didn't do that yesterday. Yesterday it hmm. was fine. Yesterday it worked perfectly. Now that screen behind me turned sideways when I plugged this in. And I was like, what in the hell is going on? And I tried everything I could. The only way I could make it not turn sideways was to extend the monitors instead of dis- instead of duplicate them. And right. I didn't want to do that because then I had to try and force a screen to go between different screens. And I only had, like, I just had what's on the... Uh, the little trackpad here. I just had the little trackpad and that was kind of a pain, you know, doing that with my thumb while it's on the shelf. Is this an issue that people are going to run into ever? I mean, maybe the idea that you could be playing on this and you're like, Oh, I'm going to plug it into a TV. And then suddenly it's sideways. Yeah. What the hell? The the moment that uh, handheld PCs just fully adopt uh, EDP displays instead of MIPI that is getting converted to EDP is going to be like not many people. This is something that most people are just like, what, what, what is this about? And it's it's such like an old thing at this point that l- whatever reason Lenovo went with the panel is very nice. So I can understand that there's like this panel is really nice. Let's just use it and not worry about anything. But Asus does go the the next mile with that, and one of the things that I really loved about the Asus RG Ally is that it's a EDP, you know, VRR panel, and it's it's amazing. Like there are better quality panels, right? Like in terms of image quality that you get out of it, but in terms of for a gaming panel uh, and for a handheld panel, in terms of power use and what you get out of it, absolutely the best that you can get. Uh, so like if if other companies can just be like, hey, do you have that Asus panel? You have like spares of them. We want to use it in our handheld, and uh, I think that's just going to be a big winner by itself, but there's things like that Asus does. I'm reviewing some of the laptops, uh, new laptops they sent me, and they go above and beyond. Uh, for instance, uh, there is a PWM like uh, thing on OLED panels in terms of pulse switch modulation, how they are blanking the screen to uh, do brightness. Mm-hmm. Asus has gone out of their way to make a custom laptop panel that has VRR, but also uh, for people that are affected by PWM in any sense, because some people are uh, sensitive to this, it gives them headaches to look at screens that are flickering. They call it anti-flicker OLED. And essentially, they are overriding how normal OLEDs work so that they can control brightness without actually doing PWM. I'm just going to jump in re- here real quick and explain this to the people who don't use Alphabet Soup. All right? So for for those of you that don't understand, if you've ever watched a video of somebody pointing a camera at something like yeah. the OLED Steam Deck and you've seen some kind of flickering and the person who's making the video has usually said, I can't see that in real life. It's just because of the camera. That's what Carrie is talking about. Exactly and right. Yeah. Apparently there's a thing that can make it not do that flickering because apparently some people are superheroes and can see that or at least it causes <laughs> them fatigue. Yeah. The mutant uh, power. 
Yeah. Right. Uh, so worst, I mean, like the worst X Men. <laughs> yeah. Right. I can't look like, at TV you... screens. <laughs> yeah. They give me headaches. <laughs> uh, yeah, but like the um, that's the type of thing that I like. Asus quietly deserves recognition for this. Uh, you know, they're 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 doing extra work in the background. They did it for the Asus RG Ally, and they're one of the only PC gaming handle. They are the P- only PC gaming handle that has this type of screen where they went the extra mile to just make it better. And you wouldn't have this type of issue that you're happening when you're plugging an external screen because if you were duplicating the screen, it would be the same landscape native that it would go right. to the other one. It would just be at that resolution. Whereas right. you're duplicating your Lenovo Legion and its active resolution is native portrait. So you just get this walk on your on your display because that's how it's getting it and he's just like well, well that doesn't make any sense and the, again this is like something that i'm in the background screaming right like get rid of native portrait displays and uh i just hope that as the industry goes on that we slowly get rid of this and for the steam deck it doesn't matter as much because they handle all that stuff through gamescope right gamescope does a bunch of heavy lifting it's like external displays don't worry about whatever the hell our internal is. We're just going to get the edited information from whatever the panel that's coming in, and we're going to treat that as its own separate thing, which is a very nice thing that Valve does and is how things should be done, right? Like, it should be handling these things in their own use case. Whatever edited information you get from that external panel, we should be focusing on that as opposed to trying to mimic what you have on your main screen. Um, I, I get why Windows would do that, but Windows... As a Windows person, they're just like, well, what happens if someone has like a, a, a native portrait display? And they're like, why would that ever happen? Yeah, you're right. It's never going to happen. <laughs> like, <laughs> just duplicate these screens. Uh, yeah, so you can see through the veil there. Yeah, you know, I just I, don't uh, understand why it worked yesterday and today it doesn't work. Uh, what were you saying, Russ? <laughs> I was going to say I had a meeting with Asus and they were telling me about their screens and i think it had to do with the oled like they they hit me with like a thousand things and so i can't remember all of it but they i remember them talking about screen refresh rates and how people will have issues with screen tearing and stuff like that and so one of the things they do on it was either a monitor or one of the laptops is they double it and so that instead of the panel like refreshing across the side they have it also refreshing on the other side as well so it costs them twice as much to set this up basically but it minimizes all of that refresh rate and all the flickering and all that kind of stuff just like it's it's a cost that they are taking on basically yeah. they we want a better experience and yes our device might be a little bit more expensive than the other you know competitor model or whatever but right. th- those are the things they're thinking about is like we want to make sure the experience is better and so Exactly, I think yeah. we see that with the ROG Ally, and I appreciate that they've done that. Exactly. As far as Bill, why it probably you woke up and why it wasn't working like that, my guess is, and, and Harry and I see this all the time, is that you know we get these drivers on the device, and those are supplied by the OEM, or they're supplied by NVIDIA, or not NVIDIA, but AMD or whatever, and then Windows says, hey... We've got an update for you, and it's got a driver pack to, uh, attached to it, and we're exactly, going to update yeah. it for you because it's got a higher number or something. And all of a sudden, you wake up, and your your computer's been refreshed, and all of a sudden, you can't adjust screen brightness on a handheld, for example. That happens all the time. <laughs> you got to uninstall that old driver and then find the, the proprietary one or get the company to send you one so that you can yeah. finish your testing. So that happens all the time. So that's, this that's is a Windows to... issue, and if I installed Bazite <laughs> on my Legion Go, I'd be fine? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> It's it's that's that's the route I would go. Like hearing your your story, I'd be like, okay, let's check the drivers. I bet you it's a Windows update. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it happens with my when I use the hacked uh, Cypher has this easy tool to hack in integer scaling on AMD side for the internal display. 
I always use it, but every time I up every time there's an update to the AMD Radeon drivers, that gets reset. So I'm just like, why is this all blurry all of a sudden? Like, oh crap. <laughs> I gotta hack it in again. And so it's just like this constant battle of like rehacking it in because it's not a supported feature by default. So it's not carrying that stuff over. It's literally wiping out uh the setting. Yeah. So it's yeah. it's it's annoying. Um Next up, real quick, uh, I, we did have like the Nintendo Direct in here, but I, do, do you guys care about the Nintendo Direct? Because my God, I thought that was boring as hell. I didn't catch uh, it. I didn't catch okay. it either. There was nothing interesting for me. Uh, but if you guys didn't watch it, then obviously nothing to talk about there. But I guess one last thing is there's rumors that Sony's going to be releasing a, P- a PS5 Pro. I looked mm. in the PS4 Pro came out about three years after the ps4 we're starting the the fourth year of the ps5 although it doesn't really feel like it because there's all those cross-gen games that we had um and the fact that nobody could get their hands on a ps5 or a series x it feels like this gen just started in my opinion do you guys think it's too soon for a pro especially when so few people I say so few people. They've sold probably 50 million PS5s at this point. Um, do you, do you people haven't had them for long enough, or do you think it's too soon, Carrie? What do you think? So, I mean, I agree with the 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 playbook that they're running because the playbook worked well for them on the PS4, and then mm-hmm. you know you can almost like it's like timed, like you know how Nintendo's playbook is, right? They're going to release the the 3DS, then they're going to make the 3DS XL, they're going to make the 3DS Mini, then they're going to make the new one. And it's like all these like years to constantly have it be like in the sphere of people where they are. I so I the part for me that I am curious about is if they are just going to replicate what they did in the previous years, which was needed, uh, insofar as just doing a GPU upgrade. And I am hesitant to say that this is a uh, a, a something that's needed, only because. The CPU side, especially with the the, the kneecapped uh, caches that they have on their Zen 2 cores, as well as the very low 3.5 gigahertz on Zen 2 is nothing. Like it's their, it's like a, the best efficiency curve for it, but it can clock way higher than that. So are we going to just be still in Zen 2 world for the CPU side and only just have a beefier GPU side? And is that something that is anything that is going to be really necessary for a anyone to really care about and you know that's the part that i think you know i think about but then again ps portals are selling out so what do i know people are just gonna <laughs> buy this thing because it has a bigger gpu and it's you know part of the playbook that needs to happen um th- there's other parts there that i want to talk about insofar as i don't there's things that are escaped out of i don't know because i can't see it and it has to do with contractual uh, parts of it like for amd side right if amd says hey we built you this ps5 gpu uh, uh apu so you have your zen 5 core you have your gpus and we built this this is your semi-custom part we made the n6 version of it which is a redesign there's a cost of that that sony owns but with them going to a newer gpu or a newer cpu uh be a whole new cost versus just getting more gpu is just like well you're just getting more of the same that you have so we're not really going to charge you all that much we'll just kind of charge you for what you already paid and just do this redesign you know what i mean it's like i don't know the costs 
of right. going to like Zen five, say, you know, to say if, if the PS five pro went to Zen five, that would be a huge increase because now you're going to be able to hit 120 FPS way more often than you are in those Zen two cores. So that's where things get a lot more interesting for me from a PS five pro side is the CPU side more than the GPU. Um, so yeah, that that's, that's where I think I find things more interesting, but I don't know yet. If, if one came out this year at the end of the year, Russ, would you buy it? Absolutely not. Like I, uh, I cannot see what I need to upgrade with my PS5. Like I turn it on, and it's awesome, you know. And so it's like I, I'm just not at that threshold where I'm like, oh, I'm ready for an upgrade. Like I, I just can't fathom like getting any better than I already have. And I, so that to me is an indication that I'm not ready for it. You know, mm-hmm. uh, the only thing that kind of makes me think about it a little bit is that I don't have a disc drive on my original PS5. I've got the like the digital one because it was the only one I could get at the time. Um, and actually that was a viewer who like reached out to me. He's like, Hey, I've got two PS fives. I'll sell you one at cost. And this was back in like, back when I was a very small channel, I was like, this is the coolest Christmas ever, you know? And so I ended up getting one, I think in 2021, which was amazing anyway. Uh, so I have been thinking, cause like just yesterday I went to Best Buy and I saw a lot of PS five disc games on sale and I was like reaching for them. I'm like, wait, I can't actually play these, you know? And so that's the one thing where I, I'm a little bit tempted about it, but I got, but that aside, you know, I I bought the Xbox Series X over Christmas this past year because it was cheap, it was like two ninety nine or whatever the heck it was. So I bought one, and I was like, finally, I can play my Xbox One discs. You know, I can I can get into Xbox Series discs, which can be cheap from time to time. But yesterday, I bought Jedi Survivor. It was thirty five bucks, about the same as you can get on the Steam sale. And I was like, oh, this would be great. You know, I can play on the Xbox, and I've heard that performance is better on console than it is on PC. And so I bought this thing. I put the disc in, and it was one hundred and thirty gig download and it was going to take three and a half hours and so the the moment where i wanted yeah the moment i wanted to play it i'm like it's ready you know and just another side is that like yesterday was my birthday and i was like this is perfect you know i can have like a birthday birthday. gaming sesh yeah oh thank you thank you anyway so i'm I'm playing i'm like this would be perfect and it's like three and a half hours i'm like okay well we're doing something else for my birthday now and so (laughs) that was kind of crazy you know and so yeah part of me is like yes ps5 pro because then i can get a disc with it you know disc drive and all that stuff and can get it's about that time where you're starting to see disc games go on discount which means it's gonna be worth more like it's just better bang for your buck at that point but I'm not going to do 130 gig downloads every time. Like I don't want to do right. that. And so, yeah, I don't know. Prospect's not there for me. The uh, just to speak on that really quick. I know we were talking about PS5 Pro, but uh, uh, that is something that Xbox really has to figure out because that's something that is probably pre baked since the Xbox One came out. Was that the disc was just supposed to be a license and not so much a where you get you're going to be reading from right. and you'll be downloading stuff. Uh, yeah. There. While that sucks, and I totally agree with you, I'm not going to defend that at all because it's it's a really sucky thing. You should just be downloading from the disk and needing whatever new you needed from the, the network or something needs to be going at the same time. Doing it that way really sucks. The one nice thing that is a kind of a weird plus is for Xbox 360 games, if they're scratched to hell uh, and people are like, oh, it's kind of busted, it doesn't work. Uh, because you don't actually need the data on the disc, it just needs to license the disc. If you put it in and it recognizes the disc, it'll start downloading the game and you're running off the download instead of whatever data is on the disc. So you can get super cheap 360 games that are scratched to hell, but it'll read just fine as whatever the hell it was. 
Uh, hmm. Even that works for Xbox One games. You're like, uh, it's a dollar because, you know, it's all scratched up to hell. Like, as long as it reads as Panzer Dragoon, it's going to download and I'll be <laughs> able to play it. Uh, so it that's a one weird way to look at as a plus of it downloading stuff instead of needing the data on the disc. But for newer games, when it's 130 gigabytes, it's untenable. It's just like, right. it sucks. That is so bad. That is such a bad experience. <laughs> yeah, but the, the the thing that worries me is not like, like I bet, you know, for the next five, ten years, it'll be fine. You can throw in your Xbox disc, you can download and stuff. But what about 30 years from now, right? Like the ability, like I cannot probably play Jedi Survivor on my Xbox 30 years from now because there's going to be something preventing like the servers offline or Microsoft gone a different direction or what all those kind of things. I no longer can play that game on a disc. And, and so that's kind of a bummer. In that so, long kind of reaching idea that right. kind of always scares me off from buying a digital library in the first place, you know. Oh yeah, the Nintendo yeah. thing has really scared that off too. But yeah, yeah. I don't know. Like, there's no win-win there. Emulation, yes. I guess. I yeah, <laughs> I I think that's where like PC has always been. The reason in like 2010 when I moved over to PC in general was this idea of in 20 30 years, how am I going to be able to play these games? And PC was the only way of like. For sure, I know I'll be able to do something on PC side that I'll be able mm-hmm. to get this working. So that's why I went in 2010. I went hardcore PC. Um, but yeah, when when you when you look at those from uh, the only the only thing I could say is that Microsoft is very IBM like in that one of the reasons that a lot of companies do them is that they're one of the few companies that do legacy, right? They're not yeah. like Google where Google's like, uh, here's uh, Google talk, which used to be Google hangout, which used to be Google speak, Me. which used to be. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, it's like four derivatives down. That is like the same thing, but somehow different. Uh, and Microsoft's thing was like, if you start from a windows 3.1 and upgrade to windows 95 and upgrade to windows 98 and upgrade to, you know, you can upgrade it every time and it will retain those settings from back then. So if you make your, your desktop, whatever, and you, any color, it'll like retain that as much as it possibly can until it starts, you know, windows eight really destroys everything. But <laughs> in terms of theme, right. It will copy over that theme. And that's like 20 years of legacy that it's trying to hold on to to make sure that whatever you're upgrading to it's the same experience that you had back then and for what it's worth i mean they they have done a bunch as much as they can having said that xbox live one no longer exists which we talked about in this podcast where damn it jeff uh used the open source version the 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 third party xbox live so yeah um who knows who knows if the but everything's on azure now and azure's there their enterprise thing. So they've mm. been dog fooding everything on Azure. So all their CDN is Azure. Uh, everything is fed from Azure. So it's a Microsoft owned thing instead of using third parties where, you know, PS5 and Steam, they both use Akamai to deliver their, their stuff. So those are the CDNs right. that they're using. They're using third party stuff and Microsoft's using themselves. So uh, I, I would say that out of all of them, like Microsoft has the, has the legacy bones. Versus any a lot of the newer companies. Having said that, right. Xbox Live happened. So <laughs> who knows? Yeah, well, I just, I'm, I'm looking as you're talking about that. I'm looking at your background and all those things. Like you got your, you know, your PS1 back there or whatever. You can put your PS1 discs in that yeah. PS1 and play yeah. those games. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. but is that going to happen with the PS5 Pro? I don't know. I think so. DF has done stuff like that, right? Like PS5. Well, if the PS5 Pro doesn't have a disc drive, right, or if they're trying to like they mm. sell it and you have to buy the add-on drive only, right? Uh, that that is going to be like a thing. Like, how many people are really going to buy the add-on drive? That's their and way of phasing out. Yeah, yeah, and especially how um, messed up 
the 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 disk drive is because when you buy that disk drive and tag it to your system it will only ever work on that system like it's Ridiculous. now hard coded to your oh, system oh wow so, oh my gosh yeah. yeah so there's like all of these things of like do i even want to buy it i can't resell it if i don't like it anymore because it's tied to my system and functionally mm. worthless to anyone else so it becomes this weird thing where you can see the, like you can see them like going in a new direction we talked about psvr2 going on pc uh today right and there is a, a whole thing of like that poem, right? It's like, first they came for the socialists, but I wasn't a socialist, so I said nothing. And <laughs> like, you know, it's like, right. you know, uh, gas games are day and date, PC day one, right? Now PSVR 2 games are going to be, it's like, well, I didn't play gas games, so I didn't say anything. And I didn't play PSVR 2 games, so I didn't say anything. <laughs> and then they came for my single player games, but there was no one left to speak. <laughs> and it's like, you can kind of see them like going to this digital only thing, going to PC day and date. And you can see all of these things happening in the background because you can see all of the um, almost like a tax, right? There's a tax uh, to taxes can be to penalize things, but taxes can also be used to uh, govern um, uh, how people do things. So there are benefits to being married and, you know, things like that. So like you get tax breaks for being married. So they incentivize getting married and like there's things that you can do. So it's like you buy a PS5 Pro, it's digital only. If you want the P- uh, the disk drive version, just buy that. But, you know, it can only work with that system ever and you can't resell it and it has all these other baggage things that come with it. Also, it's going to be more expensive. And it's like, oh, I don't know if I want all, all of that. And people are just doing digital only. And then the PS6 comes out and it's like, well, you've been buying every PS5 game digitally. So you're good now. Um Getting back to what you said, just to wrap it up, I know I go on a tangent. All <laughs> I don't even remember what you said. But, <laughs> uh, Digital Foundry has done their tests where they put in the disk and it just reads and runs off the disk outside of being connected to the internet. So mm. they PlayStation does do that, and Xbox doesn't run that way uh, at all. Uh, so that is a, a benefit for PlayStation disk version is that it does play off the version. And that's how Digital Foundry actually tests older versions of games is they offline the system put in the disc version and then capture whatever game performance out of it and then get the latest version online. If the system's online, it'll start automatically downloading whatever version is like one dot, whatever. Right. Uh, but that's how digital foundry tests older versions to be able to give you a comparison of how much improvement has happened to the newer one. Whereas that's not uh, functionally possible on Xbox. Yeah. That was the idea I had after the fact when I made that tweet and I was like 130 gig downloads, like I should have unplugged my Xbox from the internet then put the disc in and see what happens. You know, yeah. would I have been able to play an older version? Because that would have been fine. You know, like, I don't need all the latest and greatest. I just wanted to test it out for a few minutes. You know, it's my birthday. I want to do what I want, you know. But <laughs> yeah, anyway. that's, such a, that's such a weird way to play the game off the disc, right? But I think that in reality that you'd still be downloading it from the disc to your hard disk. So there'd still be a wait. Uh, right. And also, I don't think it would actually play if you were online. It's worth testing, but I there is like a weird there's a weird thing that's going on there that Microsoft really needs to, I don't know what the hell they're going to do, but it's, yeah. they've been going digital at a faster rate and making it prohibitive to buy discs as it is. So uh, that's where Xbox is. I love yeah. that everybody always complains about the consoles uh, losing physics. And, and I'm not saying that people shouldn't complain about this because I, I want people to have access to physical media. But I love that people are always complaining about that. But on PC, nobody cares. Like, there are no... You don't go out to the store and buy physical games anymore and install... I mean, who has a CD, a, a disk drive on, on their on their computer these days? Carrie's going to raise his hand. No, he's not. Uh, no, no, I don't. I don't. But, but the thing is, is, like, people seem like they look, they look at Steam 
and they say, well, I got it on Steam. I own it. Until you don't. And right now, right. Valve is doing the right thing. But if Gabe Newell decides that he wants to retire and maybe we're just going to open it up, make it a publicly traded company, and then uh, uh, suddenly things change. And right. it's... I, I just... The way I'm looking at this is it's and somebody even put in a comment where it's okay when these guys do something, but it's not okay when these guys do something. And I think that <laughs> I'm just as guilty of this as everybody else is. In fact, we're going to wrap up real soon, but this, this came in from the, the Gore force as a question for us. They said, or a comment, they said, I wish people kept the same energy across all games because microtransactions and their effect on games Helldivers 2 is given a free pass because the game itself is good. Diablo, because people are burned out and have nothing good to say, yes, one is more expensive, but it still uses the same tactics. It's like everybody piles on Blizzard for their ridiculous $65 horse skin in that game. But Helldivers 2 is like there's battle passes, there's microtransactions. And everybody's like, oh, the game is so great. And it this feels like the same exact thing, the same energy as physical media. We need to keep physical media, but Steam is fine. And it's just such a weird dichotomy <laughs> yeah. there that I just find super interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, true, because 30 years from now, will I be able to play my Steam games too? Like, it's yeah. the same question, you know? But Hopefully. for some reason, I have the expectation if I buy a disc, then I should be able to play it or whatever, you know? But I don't know, even Switch, like, I, we were at Best Buy yesterday, Metal Gear Solid Collection was like half off. It was like 30 bucks, 25 bucks or something like that. And I was like, that's a good price for all three of those games. And then you look at the back and it's like, oh, you've got a 32 download. gigs of download in order to play these games. Right. And I'm like, no, I, I didn't even buy it. I was like, yeah, I, I the whole reason why I'm building a switch cartridge collection is so that exactly. I'll have an offline system that I can just use anytime 30 years from now. Yeah. Switch is the last system that I'm actually I still buy uh, Xbox series games just because Game Pass is like a, a price killer on it. Like if a game mm -hmm. ever comes on Game Pass, you just go to GameStop and the used version of it is like three bucks or like seven bucks, and I'm like, oh, all right, I'll, I'll I'll buy these games. And but typically, um, like I just bought like WarioWare's latest, uh, the latest WarioWare game for thirty mm -hmm. bucks. And uh, Nintendo games are traditionally never go on a big discount, so it was like thirty bucks. So I was like, that's the buy price. So I buy like first party Nintendo games for like thirty bucks. But Switch is the last. Uh, series I'm buying. Number one, I enjoy having it on the cartridge. I just feel like it's... I don't really like collecting disc-based games just because they feel not console-like, right? It's felt very PC-like. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's... I mean, for me, I don't care if it's digital because as long as we can download the game somewhere and someone has a repository somewhere because it's the scene that keeps games alive. It's not these companies that keep games alive. Uh, so, like, you know, we all have our own storage of different stuff that we have like when we're playing roms on these things we have those roms we didn't need the physical version and you know people can complain and talk about whatever they want about it but there is a the scene has done an amazing job of keeping preservation alive and it's largely going to be on all of us to make sure that all of that's available and making sure that what you know as time goes on we can't rely on these companies because these companies have shown time and time again that they're unreliable 
And yeah. that's why emulation always wins, which brings yeah. us right back <laughs> to the beginning of the show. So I think that's a good a good chance for us to end it. Good gravy. These episodes keep getting longer. Thank you guys for <laughs> hanging out with us. Uh, we're almost at two hours right now. Russ, what videos you got coming out, man? So Onion OS just released a new version uh, Ooh. yesterday. So Ooh, nice. um, birthday present for me, I guess. But uh, so I got I bought one of the new Miu Minis, like the not non plus, like the older ones. They're now like in stock. Like you can just go on the Miu website and buy the, these. And the so smaller ones, they're okay. like no longer hard to find. And so and the new Onion OS updates because this is a different screen resolution. I can't remember what it is, but it's not 480p. It's like five something instead. Like they just found some panel that worked basically. <laughs> anyway, uh, so Onion OS is uh, now like updated their software to accommodate that. And so I'm going to make a video about that next is like how to upgrade the fact that this is now freely available, um, not freely available. You know what I mean? It's available to buy. And uh, and then just what new features and stuff are in that new Onion OS. So nice. Very cool. Carrie, what, what do you got holding in your hand there? Is that a video uh, that you're so working on? It will be. It's going to be a, a, a few weeks out still uh, because it's not actually on sale in any form. Uh, but I just finished up my uh, GPD WinMax 2 8840U video. Uh, that took a long time for me to complete because there was a, a sensational amount of benchmarking. And uh, to demonstrate uh, how AMD plays fast and loose with TDP, this is still a thing that a lot of people really have a hard time uh, conceptualizing, grasping their head around. So I needed to visualize it as best as I could and show off that if I said 7840U GPU Max and 8840U GPU Max 2 to 10 watts and I set the screen brightness the same and I turn off the backlight and I have all the same settings, same Windows version, that my 8840U is technically using more total system power. And this is a thing that I talked about years ago when I said the Steam Deck TDP is wrong and a lot of people were having a hard time understanding and said that I was just like looking at it wrong. But it's just the same thing that I said years ago is happening again and why we have to start benchmarking these things in a different way. And uh, overall, I was really happy with the the video and I find it to be kind of defeating because my video got posted in a bunch of different places. Like I made it to Guru 3D, Guru 3D posted about it and it, I saw it on hard forum. So hard forums is also a really hardcore forum. And I don't find anyone really commenting on it because like, they're not finding anything wrong with me and they're not really like grasping what's going on. So there's like no one really having any interaction with it. So it's just like, oh, that sucks. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I would hope people, cause usually when I do something technical, people are like, Oh, you should have done this, this or that. But I did so much and I didn't leave a lot of stones unturned that it's just like, no one's saying anything. They're just like, just a, like, it's like, uh, you know, it's a weird thing. I like the video. I think it's overall really done. Uh, this video, I have some other stuff. I have a little knock that I'm doing from Geekum. But this is a uh, Ugreen. Ugreen is a company you might have heard of. They've done batteries oh, yeah. and stuff. Yeah. So now they're exploring uh, NASA's and stuff. Mm -hmm. That's um, awesome. So they sent me their four bay, four bay one. This is running uh, in their Intel Atom, basically, CPU. But this NAS has an HDMI port out on it. So effectively, it's just a computer with bays, right? Normally, you get a NAS and it doesn't have a display out. You connect it to network only, and you use another software to connect to it. You can still do that on this. It has a web dashboard. But effectively, what this means is that it's running Ugreen's Linux OS with stuff on top of it. But if I want to, I can install... Uh, TrueNAS on it. I can install Windows on it. I can do whatever the hell I please with it because it's just a computer with four uh, SATA ports on it and whatever else, right? So I love this a lot, so I want to explore this a bunch. 
I'm hopeful that I can. I want to try to see if I can get the eight bay version of this as well. The eight bay has uh, Intel's twelve twenty five U, which is like th- this is like the perfect opportunity because people have always wanted like cheap, uh, low power, and good. And usually, you had to pick two of the three. And we're mm-hmm. finally getting to the point where we get all three of them. And uh, this is uh, I've seen a lot of different companies. AU Star, which is some nobody brand, has been reusing fifty eight hundred. Uh, uh, Ryzen 5800U parts. Mm. So you have a nice eight-core chip that's only like 25, 30 watt, but very performant. It's just an exciting time. So that's where I'm ending off. Sorry for uh, taking too much time again, but yeah, that's where I am. The, listen, Carrie, if you took too much time, I wouldn't ask you to be on the show. You take as much time as Carrie <laughs> needs to take. That's how it works. Thank you. Um, I will say it. that I have that same um, that same NAS on the way to my house, and I'm working on a video nice. where I'm going to try and get it to work with the Steam Deck. To, so I could play the games over uh, network right. ne- network attached storage instead of depending on the uh, terabyte the SSD that's in the Steam Deck. We'll see if it works. If it doesn't work, then it was a fun experiment anyway. Uh, but uh, I, I'm very I I love and they're not sponsoring this video, although they have sponsored my videos in the past. I love Ugreen. I use their stuff every single day. Uh, yeah. I'll leave a, a couple of links down below to other videos that i've talked about their stuff on uh before but they they make really good stuff that's useful uh that a lot of people uh and and there's a reason why all of us have stuff of theirs because it's it's good stuff but anyway that's going to do it for this episode of the nerd nest podcast our longest episode yet we're at uh two hours now (laughs) one hour and 58 minutes and i don't know how that happened with only three of us but uh so far nobody's complained if you guys have complaints leave them in the comment section down below make sure you head over to youtube.com slash retro game core and youtube.com slash the fox and subscribe to their channels as well as youtube.com slash nerd nest and from the nerd nest stay rad everybody bye-bye